We basically want to take away your success because they don't have any. It's it's treating life as a zero-sum game. It's saying, because you won, these other people lost. And that is just not true. There's no such thing as someone losing because you won. That is only true of games and, and sports, where there are, you know, there are winners and there are losers, but that is not true of life. Thank you for tuning into this latest episode of Bigger Hearts, Deeper Minds. This is an episode I really should have recorded a long time ago. It's one that I think about a lot and something that I've talked with quite a few friends about over the recent years, which is, why is it so hard to talk politics with people? Why is politics an increasingly difficult subject, not just in figuring out your own positions, but talking about it with others. And why is it so difficult to have rational, ethical, honest conversations with people? Why does it always seem like people are so quick to be cutthroat and to be defensive? Why does it feel like if you even just mention a person's name, like Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or Joe Biden, that people instantly pick a side or feel like they have to pick a side. Why does all this happen? These are questions that we're going to talk about in this episode, and I've found some really interesting statistics that will hopefully help me speak a little bit more informed on the matter. But let's go ahead and dive right in. So why why is it so difficult to talk to people about politics? Why is it such a divisive issue? Well, I think think the real answers to this question go way further back than even one lengthy podcast episode could cover. But it's important to really look at not only the modern landscape, but what are what are the factors that have contributed to everything that we see today? Basically, what are, and this, I, I should preface this too with the fact that this episode is going to deal purely with American politics. I would like to, in future episodes, get into politics of other countries. Um, obviously, politics is a global concern, and there's a lot of differences between nations, but this episode is going to deal strictly with American politics. So let's go ahead and jump right in. The first note I made is people have deeply held perceptions and beliefs. So obviously, if you're, you know, if, if you're someone who's generally following politics to begin with, you're probably going to have quite a few opinions on political matters. That's pretty normal. But what it what it seems has become the case, and I think only time will tell what this really looks like in America, but it seems like as time has gone on, more more and more people have gotten involved in politics and care about it to some extent. And I think as a result of that, people's opinions have been strengthened and their their viewpoints have been expanded as a result of the involvement. Because People, you, you can have your opinion on politics, but it's one thing to have an opinion on politics and to just kind of glaze over it. It's a very different thing to have your opinion on politics and to be someone who's involved in it on a daily basis or even a weekly basis. Even if you're someone that just checks the news and you care about a couple particular issues, that is a lot more involved than someone who doesn't uh, listen to shows or, or watch watch anything at all. 
But what I found really interesting, and honestly, this this isn't too surprising. This actually comes from the New York Times. They say that about 80 to 85 percent of Americans don't really follow politics at all. So it's it's really just 15 to 20 percent of people who are what they call deeply involved in politics. So, yeah, it's you know it's not too surprising that I mean politics in general is a hot button issue. A lot of people don't like to talk about it. A lot of people don't want to get on anyone's bad side, and that all makes sense. You know, it's people want to have friends. People want to have lives. They they don't want politics to touch every corner of their lives, and nor should they. I don't want politics to touch every corner of my life either. I I love politics. I'm very interested in it. I'm always trying to learn more, but I don't want to have it, you know, touch stuff with my band or things that I do in my personal time. Like that's that's my decision. So it's it's really, you know, one one out of every five people, just to, to round up, one out of every five people you meet, that is the person who's interested in politics. The other four people, they are just really not tuned into it or they're just following it very casually. Like if, if the TV is on at their friend's house or, you know, they happen to I don't know, they're waiting for their their car at the mechanic and the TV is on there, radio, whatever. You know, they're just kind of checking it out in passing, but they're not really interested in it as a part of their daily life and what they follow. And I completely respect that. If anything, those are the people who sometimes make the best decisions about politics because they're not they're not letting their passions inflame them and drive them to potentially harmful decisions or hasty decision-making. But what I find even more interesting than the fact that only one out of every five people are interested in politics on a very close level is that Republicans and Democrats in America are starting to, they're starting to become a stronger association, I guess, amongst each side. And basically what I mean by that is Republican positions are getting more concentrated and Republican voters are getting more concentrated. And it's it's the same the same is true of liberal or Democrat voters. Um and I, I it's it's worth mentioning that not every not every person who's liberal votes Democrat and not every person who's conservative votes Republican. But Obviously, for the most part, people stand in their party lines. But what Pew Research shows us, and I've cited some of their research in other recent episodes too, this comes from a little while ago, about 2017. There's a there's a greater partisan divide and a, a greater divide between political values on both sides than there ever has been in at least recent American history. American political history is, is checkered with a lot of different issues and many different divides and there used to be um there used to be the democratic republicans actually if i'm not mistaken but anyways republicans uh people are starting to be consistent uh more and more consistently conservative and on democrats people are being more and more consistently liberal so basically what that means is there are fewer and fewer voters in the middle there's more and more people who are picking a side and staying with it than there ever have been in uh, the recent past. And so Republicans are consistently concerned with illegal immigration. It tends to be 
uh, something that they view as, as a major issue in American political life, and that continues to be one of the chart-topping, vote-swinging uh, issues for them. And when it comes to Democrats slash liberals, liberals are consistently concerned with the influence of millionaires, billionaires, people who, uh, I guess in a term, what you would call is um, dirty money in politics, things of that nature, special interest groups that they oppose. These seem to be issues that they are really concerned about. And another, I, I heard recently that another issue that they're facing a lot uh, or that, that they that they want resolved is, uh, I guess they're having an increasing issue with just conservatives in general, which I have certainly seen that that's the case. The way that the mainstream media portrayed the January, January 6th Capitol Hill insurrection moment was portrayed very differently than things that happened last summer, 2020. A lot of these riots and protests and, you know, buildings being smashed and, and burned and a lot of these rather violent moments uh, all, all across America, these were largely created um, in, uh, in part, I should say, as George Floyd protests, Black Lives Matter protests, things of that nature. They were all kind of loose, loosely grouped in with one another. That was, that was definitely the overarching theme along with defund the police. A lot of these things, you know, run in very parallel circles. Granted, there are different sects of liberalism, like you've got your democratic socialists, you've got your socialists, communists, you've got your kind of general American liberals, uh, for lack of a better term. And a lot of these people actually don't agree with each other. A lot of the, um, you know, socialist anarchists and just socialist types in general uh, hold very different views from just kind of your, again, standard American liberal Democrat. But the point is, a lot of we're, we're just seeing we're seeing more political concentration on both sides than we have either in a long time or potentially ever in American history. And so this is very concerning. People have their deeply held beliefs and their positions, and they are starting to just camp out there and, and stay camped out there longer. So the second thing is misinformation. There's a lot of misinformation out there, and I know that's a very vague and general statement, but it's very true. There are a, there are hundreds of news retractions, journalistic issues that either never go corrected or they get corrected and they never get mentioned. Um, they never get mentioned in the news because the news doesn't want to make themselves look bad. They just want to make themselves look good. And so what happens is the news media, and we'll, we'll get to the fact that Americans have an all-time low trust in the media in a little bit, but basically what happens is the media reports on whatever they want to report on, and more importantly, how that, however they want to report on it, and it just goes, it goes unreported that something was wrong or something was touted as fact or news when it was really opinion. At the time of this recording, something really interesting is happening with Project Veritas uh, because they are, the New York Times, coincidentally enough, has uh, they're, you know, Project Veritas and, and NYT are involved in a lawsuit 
that the New York Times tried to get dismissed, and the judge threw out the NYT's dismissal request, and so Project Veritas has been pursuing what it would look like to not only continue with the suit, but what they would need to do. And I'll post a link in the description below because I, I won't have time to go into the entire story here. But basically, the New York Times was saying that Project Veritas was saying untrue things when in reality, Project Veritas was simply reporting on the truth. And Project Veritas decided to sue the New York Times because they were defaming what Project Veritas was doing. They were basically saying, yeah, those guys over there, what they're saying isn't true. And you, you can't say that because that is illegal in the journalistic and news world. You, you can't say that what someone is saying about the truth is false. And then you can't act like what you're saying is true, especially if it's false. Pretty complex stuff, but they do a great job of explaining it. So like I said, I'll leave that in the description. Be sure to check that out if you're interested in learning more about it. But misinformation is a very real issue. And we're let's let's get more specific here so we don't just leave it at misinformation. Number one, just like we talked about, you might be reading opinion that is being shared or touted as news. And you have to, if, if you are going to be sharing something that you're interested in or you, you like the content, you should be aware of what you're reading and whether it's opinion, fact, or satire. And all of those are completely different. Fact, you know, news is, it's supposed to be, as the old phrase goes, just the facts. It's just got to be exactly what happened, no personal spin, no bias, no nothing. Just exactly what happened, doesn't matter if you like it or if you don't, it's, it's just, it's what it is. Opinion, obviously, can be someone's personal take on the matter, and it can include facts, and it can reference real news, but it still has to be clearly marked and labeled as opinion. And then satire, obviously, is kind of building up a story based on, it could be opinion or fact, or a mix of both. And so we we don't, it's not always easy to spot what is the difference between all these. I mean, Babylon B, they're very clear that they're a satire site, and anyone who's been, hopefully anyone who's been reading them more than a couple minutes realizes that, oh, this is satire, this is so funny, it obviously can't be true. Um, they definitely have something on their website that shows people, yes, this is satire, this is not, <laughs> this is comedy writing, this is not real news, nor is it usually opinion, but sometimes trusted media sources, especially big ones, purport to be sharing the news when what they're really sharing is their opinion. And it's often a very slanted opinion at that. And as a libertarian, I'd like to point out that both the right and the left do this. I don't really trust a whole lot of big sources on the right or the left unless I can independently verify something. You know, like with the New York Times stat that I cited earlier in this podcast episode, that is very easy information to verify and cross-check that one in five Americans, basically 15 to 20 percent, is the highest number of Americans that are super interested in politics and follow it all the time. That is not an outlandish thing to say, and you can verify it elsewhere, like Pew Research. You can find, I'm sure you can find stuff like that um, on, you know, right-wing media sources like Washington Times, stuff like that. But that is not 
that is not a uh, <laughs> there there's no it's very hard to inject your opinion into that and yet all too often we are seeing people who are inflamed and enraged on both sides getting so frustrated at what the other side says that they just decide to write something that makes the other side look bad and that is what leads to a lot of misinformation is people are basically taking little bits and pieces of what happened and stuffing their opinion into the rest of it and that that is not that is not good reporting it's not good journalism you have every right in the world especially in America to be publishing your opinion but you should if you're going to be writing about the facts and you want to talk about the truth you should be doing your job doing your research and making sure that what you put out there is quality and that it can't be easily just knocked down by other people who have actually done their work. I think my favorite example of this is the Nick Sandman story with CNN and the uh I'm actually blanking on his name right now but the Native American guy who was um I I believe he was, you know, doing a demonstration. He was he was obviously uh at the same place that Nick Sandman was and you know the news basically goes up to I know his name was uh, Nathan something but um, basically the all the media captures is Nathan and he's you know he's he has already walked up to this Nick Sandman guy and they were you know they were it's the Covington Catholic kids as they were referred to after this media incident and the media portrays it as though Nick Sandman is like smirking with with <laughs> they portray it as though he's like having this evil smirk on his face and looking at Nathan and that Nick Sandman was just evil because it's it's the particular angle that they got and that's this picture that was shared widely on many many articles on social media and I saw a ton of friends talking about it at the time in that particular moment, I actually knew that I, I just felt in my gut. I was like, this this is probably not going to go the way that people think it's going to go. And like, first of all, I was like, there's nothing like even in that picture, that picture doesn't tell you the whole story. Anyone, anyone who has a good amount of media literacy and information literacy and you understand you can't. You can't just take one still image of what the what the media has decided to show you and treat that as the entire story. It's just not it's not possible to it's not possible to do that. You you don't even see the before or the after. You have to you have to be willing to see the entire story before you are going to make a decision on what happened. And you have to you have to take context from both sides. That is what a lot of people are so reluctant to do is they only want the context from their side. I should say the the quote unquote context. It's it's not it's not context if you're getting it from one side. You have to be you have to be willing to get it from both sides. And so essentially what happened is Nick Sandman sued CNN uh, he actually sued the Washington Post and CNN for a massive amount of money for defamation, and all all of this got resolved. It's looking like 
I'm trying to find the date here. Uh, last year, it was it was last last fall. Really, really, as a lot of political stuff was was starting to build up for the 2020 U.S. presidential election. So it's hilarious to see what happened as a result of it, of everything with with Nick Sandman. But he sued and he won because all all of this all of this defamation you know against him it even though Nathan walked up to him at at that particular event the media only made it look like Nick was this smug you know this smug maga maga hat wearing white kid who basically was just being rude but yeah, if you watch the video, there's plenty of evidence showing that he was standing right where he was. I don't think he even said anything. I don't think the guy, I don't think Nick Sandman lifted a hand. I don't think he did a single thing. I think he just stood there and smiled. And so he sued and he won and he he did a little bit at the Republican National Convention. Um, anyone who's listening knows that I, I am not a Republican, but I am not gonna lie. I I really enjoyed seeing him get what he deserved, which was victory in the face of these media giants who just want to portray something false that has nothing to do with reality, and stokes the ire of people who are not willing to sit down and learn more about the story. And I'm not saying that you know, it, it's it's not about being perfect. It's it's not about you know. The media has never reported on anything good or useful. Obviously, you know these these big sites like Fox News and CNN, even the New York Times. There's there's still reporting that they do that's that's accurate and useful. It's not a hundred percent bad. So I'm I'm not I'm not out here to just throw the baby out with the bathwater entirely. But when 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 you make mistakes that are this grave in nature, and you are not even willing to show people the truth and say we got it wrong and and it's even worse when people are doing this stuff on purpose a lot of these media companies are they're spinning a story on purpose they're taking a shred of truth and they're spinning a, a story around it and they expect you to think that i think they really expect you to not do your research they're almost expecting people to be dumb and to not look at this stuff themselves so i find that shocking but that is just one of the more recent examples of misinformation out there. Basically, we're, I mean, we're going to get to solutions later in this episode. But what we should really be looking at is, first you should understand, you know, who am I getting this information from? Is this, is this a biased source? Is this an openly biased source? Or am I getting it from something that's pretty, you know, something that's pretty straightforward and, and people who are really just reporting on the facts and there's, there's no, there's no, uh, weird stuff laced in and they're not trying to make just regular information seem like a story and then be be willing to challenge yourself they say that about they say that most most people who are liberals are consuming almost exclusively liberal media and conservatives aren't you know much different than that they're saying conservatives get their news from about two-thirds conservative sources and about one-third liberal sources um, and I, you know, I have to check myself on this stuff too. I, I don't have a perfect 50-50. But what you should strive for is a good balance. You should be willing to say, hey, if I've been reading like only Fox News for the last 10 years, <laughs> I 
Maybe there's something else out there that I can learn that Fox News is not reporting on. Same goes for something like CNN. CNN is only going to report on what they want to report on. They're going to they're going to distribute the information that they think is valuable. It's really you're really going to challenge your views and you're going to get a lot more balanced approach to everything. Even if you don't necessarily agree with some of the new media that you're consuming, you're at least going to not be pigeonholing yourself into only consuming information from one source. It's a very dangerous idea because it can make you think that only one way of getting information is right, and it can also make you think that only one viewpoint on any particular issue is right. That is a very, very dangerous place to be. You should always, even if you know where you stand on something, you should always be willing to hear from the other side and be open-minded, especially when it comes to politics. Other other issues in life, I respect that people have they have their views and they want to stick to them. But politics, it's very easy to get things mixed up, so at the very least, you should be willing to listen to other people. Media agendas. This is a perfect transition into the next one because the media, every every media company, <laughs> I feel like every major media company out there has an agenda. They They have something that they are trying to push and it's it's not really getting any better unfortunately we are seeing media comp- we are seeing new media companies pop up um, we are seeing very intelligent and hardworking people creating media assessment companies you know companies that independently check facts and look at bias and look at what sort of skew a particular publication has as far as the topics they cover and how they cover it and the degree to which other things are covered or not covered, and that is that is really important. So we we absolutely we absolutely need that. Um, but it's me, media media agenda. You you have to be able to understand that if someone if someone is trying to get a message out to you, especially if it's in the media, there's a reason. It, most <laughs> most media companies, just by their nature, are not 100% innocent. Most media companies, whether conservative or liberal, they have something that they are trying to get out there. So you have to ask yourself, what is the agenda that they're trying to push? Or what, what, is, what is the sort of over, overarching message that they want people to understand? Number two, are they, are they balanced in their approach? Are they willing to you know, invite people from the other side? Someone like Tim Poole mentions... He often describes himself as basically a kind of like a centrist liberal or almost like a, a left-leaning libertarian at times. He has said many times that he's invited numerous people who are on the left on the show, but he doesn't hear back from a lot of them. And he invites a lot of other people who are lib- libertarian, anarchist, conservative. He has a lot more guests on his show of that bent, or I should say of those bents, because none of those things are quite the same. He has a lot more people like that on his show than he does people who are on the left. I find that interesting, but not too interesting, because conservatives, libertarians, anarchists, people like that, those people are, that those ideologies by today's standards are a lot more associated with individualism and the willingness to think think freely and talk about just 
what you think and not necessarily adhere to what the group thinks. And I think he's right in that liberals are a little bit more, I guess, group-minded, collectively-minded than than individually-minded. And I... I think that's that's definitely something to be concerned about. But it also just reveals how people think. If if liberals really do believe that, oh, if you know, if I disagree with the group, then that is going to be an issue, then that's that's what they think. That they're they're free to think that. It just means that as time goes on, if that is how liberals continue to think and believe and act, the real individualists are going to be in the center, not identifying with politics at all, or somewhere on the right. So, yeah, that's definitely something else to talk about. Tied in with that, this is an article from Time, uh, from the, I believe, famous writer David French, about how America is being pulled apart. And I, I think he's pretty much right on in this article. I, I think this is a very a very well-written article on, on the whole. He is talking about how when like-minded people gather together, they tend to grow more extreme. That's a direct quote from this article. I'll link it in the description below. Essentially what it, it means is if you gather a ton of people together, they, they might not agree on specific things, but the more you put people who already agree together, they tend to push their ideology and their position further and further. And we definitely see this because there are abortion laws in Illinois and New York that were enacted not not too long ago where they are allowing abortions to happen up until the point of birth. And I'm definitely going to do a much bigger episode on abortion and hopefully multiple episodes on that in the future. But anyone who knows me knows I am very passionate about this issue. I am very much pro-life. But it just goes to show, and this applies to the media as well, that the more, the more there are similar people put together, they are going to just continue to take their ideology further and further. So definitely check out this this David David French article. It's really interesting stuff and you know, there's there's nothing like getting yourself out of like I said, getting yourself out of the normal media you consume to get yourself to think differently about something. The next thing is the the, the next reason it's difficult to talk with people about politics is there's a desire to conform. This is very, this is just innate in humans. We, we have a desire to want to fit in. We, we want to, we want people to like us. We want to feel like we have an in-group. We want to feel like there's a group of people who agree with us and we agree with them. Makes us feel safe, makes us feel heard, makes us feel seen. We don't feel like we're being isolated, and all of this makes sense. But it's it's a very dangerous thing to do if you're voting a certain way, supporting a particular type of politician, 
and you're just doing it to be accepted by other people. Not only does it mean that you are not necessarily doing your research on the issues that you should be, but you might be supporting things that down the road you yourself would reject when it turns into a real life, real life policy. One great example is a lot of people want equality, especially on the left. But what's difficult to accept is if, if, if equality is, is really something to be attained, it means that people have to have things in their life that are equal. So that comes down to housing, that comes down to money, that comes down to jobs, comes down to places to live, comes down to food, comes down to everything. True equality, and this is something to expand on much more in a different episode, true equality means everything is equal. It means people make the same amount of money, they drive the same car, they wear the same clothes, they're the same height, they like the same bands, they don't like the same bands, same, you know, same everything, right? So that is a very dangerous way to look at life. Number one, people are not equal. Number two, that is a tragic fact of life. There are people who make more money than other people, but that's mostly up to people's decisions. It's mostly up to the way you've lived your life and the choices you've made in your life. A doctor makes more money than a store clerk for many reasons. And it's, you know, it's, it's just astonishing that people truly think that equality is something that we can achieve. Now, I want to say everybody, equality is something that you can achieve in some areas of life. Like everybody should be equal before the law. Everybody should have equal access to the same types of opportunities. Everybody should have equal access to things like water and food. We shouldn't, it's not making the case that people should be in poverty. No one wants people to be in poverty. I don't want people to be in poverty. People who know me before I started this show know that I've been involved in numerous, I've, I've led, I've, I've organized events to help people get out of poverty. I've organized fundraisers, benefit concerts, just kind of donation events, you know, what, what have you. You name it, I've, I've probably organized some type of event like that in the past. And I'm very passionate about that, and people should be. We should, have, we should have people getting excited about the fact that we can help lift people out of poverty. But you can't, you can't force people to be equal outside of some of these basic things in life. You can't force people to like the same things. You can't force people to follow the same religion or not follow one at all. You can't force people to even like the same color. You can't even force people to like the same food. So instead of trying to force equality uh, with people, we should try to we should try to create opportunities where people have equal access to things. I'm I'm a total believer in that people should have equal access to all sorts of helpful things in life, like job opportunities, healthcare, just basic human health. Like I said before, food and water. That stuff should go without being questioned. Everything else. Not only is it impossible, it's often people often have ulterior motives for trying to do that. Because if you're trying to make people equal, it's probably because you're trying to control them or have power over them. And that is exactly what we see with the media. Because people people are trying to <laughs> media companies are trying to make people equally dumb. 
And that is a recipe for not only corrupt power, uh, or I should say corrupt people who are in positions of power, it's, it's a recipe for revolt because people, people are not going to take well to the idea that you are trying to control them and be the overseer of everything in their life. So conformity, I don't even know how we got there from conformity, but basically people, yeah, so people want to be, people want to be liked. People want to be welcome in the in-group. And so basically people will conform with the people who they want to be respected by. That is just a recipe for not good things because, yeah, you might, so yeah, I guess that's how we got there from the equality idea. So if, if people want people to be equal, they might vote for higher taxes on the rich because on the surface, it sounds like, well, we're going to tax the rich. We're going to, you know, we're going to make people more equal by take basically taking more money away from the rich. Not only does that not work, and it, by the way, it punishes success, which is really never something that you want because you're training people to be unsuccessful then. Or I should say you're encouraging people to be unsuccessful even more than you are training them. Oftentimes, the government tries to force equality through by raising taxes, changing the tax laws. When you become, you know, when you're an adult and you're, you're paying for your own life, you're paying for your own bills, things like that, it gets a lot harder to it gets a lot harder to i guess respect the idea of financial equality amongst all people because it creates an environment where people are no longer benefiting from the freedom they had to make their own decisions and of course i can already hear people saying well don't you want people to have, you know, great opportunities and don't don't you want people to do well for themselves and have the money they need to live? Yes, of course I do. But you have to understand that people are going to make different decisions and trying to tax people out of, you know, trying to tax the prosperity and, and the success out of people, that's just going to de-incentivize success. It's going to de-incentivize everything that honestly makes the world flourish. Entrepreneurship and specialization in tasks those are things that are the direct outpouring of the freedom that people have to make decisions. If you all of a sudden punish people who have done really well for themselves in life, what you're really saying is you did so well and for these other people who didn't do well, we want to <laughs> we basically want to take away your success because they don't have any. It's it's treating life as a zero sum game. It's saying because you won, these other people lost. And that is just not true. There's no such thing as someone losing because you won. That is only true of games and and sports where there are, you know, there are winners and there are losers, but that is not true of life. Everybody can be a winner. You just have to respect the fact that people will win in different ways. Let's talk about cognitive dissonance before we get into the solutions. So cognitive dissonance is basically the idea that when you are greeted with... So let's take it back a step, actually. <laughs> First, everybody has specific ideas that they hold about life. And 
most of these beliefs are deeply held. So people have deeply held beliefs about themselves, about religion, about the world around them, politics, of course. Cognitive dissonance is the idea that when you come across information that's, that shows you that what you believed was wrong, cognitive dissonance is basically what happens when your brain starts to process that information. It says, your brain starts saying, well, either this information is right, you know, or your belief is right, but they, they both can't fit. So basically what happens in most people's minds during cognitive dissonance is they hold on to the belief because the, the belief is more emotionally gratifying than the fact, but the fact is actually true. And the fact would force the belief out, or it would at least force the belief to take on a different form if they accepted the facts, the new information, the new knowledge, whatever it is. And so people people are very, very, very particular about what they believe about politics. They're very most people are very at the very least reluctant to talk to other people about their political views. Some are not. Some are, you know, bold and brash in the words of Squidward, I believe. But <laughs> anyways, um most most people are, are pretty reluctant to talk to others about politics because it's very deeply held beliefs. They don't they don't want to hear information that might show them that, that they're wrong, and they don't. A lot of people too don't want to necessarily come across as rude or aggressive to other people who they like and respect. And I totally appreciate that, and that's a very kind thing. But at the same time, you have you should be willing, at least on your own time, like I've said before, to read and to consume new information and, and to be interested in in what people are putting out there. Just to see if if you're holding beliefs that are represented by the data that we have available. And I totally understand too that sometimes you hold a belief that isn't necessarily represented by data and it doesn't necessarily need to be. Like the fact that, you know, oftentimes it does overlap. Like if we say, so there's about a billion people still in the world who go hungry every single day and who probably don't have clean water as well. My belief is that we should work to have a world where those people don't have to suffer anymore. And so, but someone might say, well, my belief is we have to support political candidates who will do something about that. Whereas I would say, I care just as much about that as you do. I just don't believe that government is the best solution for those things. I believe that it's the free market and people voluntarily getting together to find a solution. I believe that is the best possible solution to this problem. And so that is where a political difference would crop up. But now that we've talked quite a bit about the issues with why it's so hard to talk with people about politics, let's go ahead and talk about what are some of the solutions? What are some, what are some of the ways that we can not only come together more often in conversation, but just as individuals? How, how can we be how can we be open to the process of not political reconciliation, because that doesn't really exist, but political understanding, um, understanding what people believe, why, what that looks like, just being, being, I guess, honestly, friendlier with each other, being, being more willing to accept different views. It's something that it seems a lot of uh, increasing number of Americans have a difficult time with. So the first thing 
like I've already implied, is humility and an open mind. It takes humility to learn from anyone else. doesn't matter who it is, what they believe. It takes some humility to not just patently acknowledge that your friend has different political views than you, but to actually try and learn from them. Even if it goes slowly, even if you don't get back to each other for weeks or months at a time, um, even if you just read one book and that's all you read. That is more than a lot of people will do. A lot of people, and I'm, I'm sure this is true of the 20% of Americans who are deeply involved in politics, it's it's hard. It's hard to change your mind. It's it's hard. It's not, and not even change your mind, but it's although you can if you want to. It's hard to be open to new information. It's hard to tell yourself, "Wow, I was actually wrong about this. Maybe I should take a closer look next time." It's hard to do that. It requires the under, the understanding and the willingness to believe that there could be someone else who has seen something a little bit more accurately than you have. But it all starts with that open mind. And just the willingness to hear from people, do some reading, realize that maybe maybe you've had your head under a rock a little bit longer than you thought you did. And it can be refreshing too. You can see, you can discover information that actually shows you a way to be more in touch with yourself, more in touch with your real beliefs and ideas about things than you ever thought possible before. Another thing we need, especially to combat misinformation, is we need accurate information. We need we need a world of media, whether that's traditional or new media or both, and I, I believe it's a combination. We need a world of media that we can trust. We need we need media that actually speaks to what the real issues are, just the facts, just the information, not people's hyperpartisan spins. Not Donald Trump did this again, or Joe Biden said that, and how ridiculous that was in every single way. Whatever it is, it really doesn't even matter. It doesn't even have to be those two people. It could be local Congress people. It could be, it could be local politicians. It could be a mayor of a town. It could be anyone. It, it could really be anyone. We have to have media that reports strictly on the facts and withholds their opinions. And if you really need opinions, which obviously everybody has one, you can publish that too, but separate the two, keep them separate. They should be as separated as church and state, and you know they should be as separate as oil and water is probably a better analogy these days. But um, yeah, just being having being willing to have and being able to have the trust in media companies again. And this leads me immediately to my next point because I feel like it's the only only hope that we have for a changed media landscape is we need more decentralized content creators. We need more people who are independent, who are willing to do at least basic research and can still obviously share their opinion on it. I think Tim Pool is a great example. And really just get out there and say, all right, I've, I've done some basic research. This is what I think about the issue. This is what the facts say. This is the best information I've been able to find on this particular incident so far. And so here are my thoughts on it. Because that way you know you're you're not you're not getting when you when you listen to content created by an independent creator, you're not getting information that is being force-fed to you through some 
hyper-partisan political agenda, whether that be on the left or the right or honestly anywhere in between. You're getting someone who takes, first of all, passion in their work, but number two, they have to they have to do a great job because no no one is going to no one is going to become successful long term if all of the content they're making is garbage in quality. You have to be doing great work in order to get noticed. That is especially true today, and I think that's only going to become increasingly true as the world becomes more and more global and the media landscape starts to look more like the entire world than it does a country or a town. You can still have your local news, and I would recommend there's never been a better time than now to be paying attention to local news. But more and more people are going to step up into the realm of creating media for a international audience. And so you have to be great because people people can jump to any other content producer at any time if they don't like what you're making or if they think what you're making is low quality. So you have to be great at what you do, but that is what drives honesty and high quality to begin with, is you're you're someone who's doing it independently. You're not you're not being given an agenda ahead of time. The fourth and final thing, and this is <laughs> this is probably the, the hardest thing honestly, but kindness. And yes, I know that might sound cheesy to some people who are listening this, listening to this, but kindness really is important because kindness, I, I want to, let me clarify first too. Kindness does not mean niceness and it does not mean being a pushover. It means being kind to people. It's very simple. It means even when someone is rude, you do your best to be kind in response. You know, even, even when the the waiter or waitress at your restaurant is having a rough day and they're not treating you well. Doesn't mean you have to be rude back to them. You you could note it and you can be like, yeah, I'm not going to come back to this restaurant again. And that's totally your choice, but you don't have to be rude in response. I think one of the most, and that is kind of the point I'm getting at. I think one of the most difficult things to do in this world today, especially today, is not being rude to people who are rude to you. They might be the nastiest person to you, and believe me, I've I've met some nasty people over the years. I've I've met people. <laughs> I used to work I used to work uh, in a grocery store, a, a pretty large grocery store chain. I'll just leave it at that. And uh, I no joke. I had someone come up to me in the middle of my workday, and he said, "This might be the best job you ever have in your life." <laughs> and I just find that hilarious, especially today when I'm I'm doing you know, not to humble brag, but I, I'm doing better for myself than I ever have. And I'm really grateful for that. I, you know, I have a lot of people to credit in helping me along the way, like my parents and people I've learned from, and just friends of mine who have given me some really good advice over the years. But a dude literally came up to me. He didn't even know who I was. And he said, he, his opinion that was that I would never have a better job than what I had right there. I just find that so funny, but you know, you're going to meet people like that and you're, you're tempted to, to say really nasty or just really rude things in response. And, you know, on a feelings level, that makes sense. But this translates, this translates to politics as well. Just because you're feeling something doesn't mean you need to say it. And just because you want to say it doesn't mean you have to say it that way. So those are some things to think about. 
And that is a lot. There's a lot to think about here. There's a lot to practice. There's a lot to be concerned about. And all these things are valid. But remember that for as much as you are passionate about what you believe, there are other people who are passionate passionate about what they believe. And if, if you're willing to learn from other people and your friends, hopefully they're willing to learn from you as well. It's hard. It takes time. But I believe that people can make bridges with people. And honestly, a lot of people, especially across America, actually still care about quite a few of the same things, even if they care about them differently. Turns out that a lot of people who don't identify as hyper-partisan still care about things like median wage, being able to put food on the table, having having the right health care for your family. It's what they call kitchen table issues. And I think if, if America is going to bridge the divide and, and keep things less extreme than they have been in recent years. It's probably going to be around issues like that. People being able to support their families, move forward with life, and have what they need, their, their basic needs met. So thank you again so much for tuning into this episode. I really appreciate any support you've shown for Bigger Hearts, Deeper Minds. You can find us on the web at biggerheartsdeeperminds.com. We're also on a variety of social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and some more coming soon. Join our email list for free and you can get merch discounts, subscriber perks, sneak peeks, tons of cool stuff like that that the public does not get access to. You can join our email list by sending a blank email to bhdm at bcast.email and again that is bhdm at bcast.email thank you so much look forward to seeing you in another episode